0: Are you claiming God's promises, but wondering why he's not fulfilling them? It might be that you're not meeting your end of the agreement. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares some important takeaways from the first chapter of Joshua, including some key insights on God's promises. From A Nation in Crisis, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Mobilizing the People.
1: And thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to finish up what we started yesterday. In, uh, it's from the series A Nation in Crisis, but this is called Mobilizing the People. It's uh, the instructive verses of Joshua chapter 1 where the leader of the people is getting the people to follow the leader. And uh, I hope you'll stay with us as we finish unpacking this in today's lesson. When we chose the resource for this month, I don't know that we were aware of how closely we would come to the exact passage upon which the resource is based in teaching, but that's what we did, because the resource for the month of February is called The Jordan River Rules, and tomorrow and Friday, the, the message is the, the Crossing of the Jordan. So this book by Rob Morgan It's kind of a commentary on the lessons we're teaching in these uh, last few days. The book is filled with transferable principles to help you move forward in your life. All of us, in one way or another, are standing uh, at the river trying to determine whether you have the courage to cross it or just hang out on the same side. And uh, the Word of God is a forward book. It's not a standstill book and our life should be forward. This book by Rob Morgan will help you move forward in life and will encourage you as you face the future. Once again, it's our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point during this short month of February. Your gift means everything. We are so thankful for it ahead of time. Your generosity is so appreciated. If we're making a difference in your life and helping you with this daily teaching, you can sure help us as you respond to this opportunity. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point this month in these next few days, and simply ask for your copy of The Jordan River Rules. I'll make a prediction. When you get this book, you will probably sit down and read it all at once you won't wait for another day. It's a short book. It's not big, but it's full of truth, truth that you'll want to implement in your own life. Well, let's get back to part two of mobilizing the people from Joshua chapter one.
2: Someone wrote these words. There are far too many preachers today who act as though they are begging their hearers to do Christ and his cause of favor who are so apologetic and fawning and effeminate that they are forfeiting the respect of the real men who come to hear them speak. You know something, there's a lot of truth in that, and it's an embarrassment to any who may be in the ministry. We don't have any authority or power in ourselves at all, but if we are true to what God's Word says, we have the power and authority of God, and we should speak as if we were the oracle of the Lord, not take five different views and decide which one you want or maybe this is true or maybe it isn't if we don't understand what God has said and cannot declare his word with a sense of authority how in the world are the people who are out there in the world living every day under the pressure of a secular mentality ever going to have a sense of direction or authority in their lives there's a lot of difference between speaking with authority which is yours by virtue of the Lord and being a dictator or having an authoritative spirit. We don't need dictatorship and we don't need an authoritative spirit, but we do need men and women who speak with authority when God has declared his word. And that's the strength of Joshua's orders. God commanded Joshua, Joshua commanded the leaders, and the leaders commanded the people. The substance of Joshua's orders are also in verse 11. Joshua was given some instruction to pass on to the leaders that were then to pass this instruction on to the people. They were told to go through the host or fan out through the group of people and command the people saying, prepare you victuals. The first part of their preparation was physical preparation. They were to prepare victuals. Now you probably wonder what victuals are. If you've ever watched an old Western movie and heard them talk about getting their vittles together, Well, victuals are food and victuals are food. It's the grub. It's getting your food together. Joshua was telling the people to go throughout the camp and tell the people you got to gather up some food. There's a three-day journey coming, and you don't want to go on this journey without anything to care for your family. Now, I mentioned to you that this is a brand-new thing because for all these years that they were in the wilderness, for 40 years in the wilderness, they never had to worry about food. God delivered it to their door every single day. It was a miraculous manna that God had provided. They never had to go and hunt for food. They never had to raise a garden. They were in the desert. There was no way they could have done it. So God just provided it for them every day. But when you get to the fifth chapter of Joshua, the heavenly delivery system is over. And the Bible says that the people are in the land of Canaan and they're eating the old corn of the land. They're gathering up the dregs that are left from the people who live there. And that's how they sustain themselves. But they've got a three-day journey over into the land and Joshua is telling all the people, now, you need to get your food together. There's a temptation whenever you preach in the Old Testament to find a lesson in every verse that applies to some New Testament principle, and I promise not to do that as we move through Joshua. But I do want to remind you that if we as Christian people have been called to possess our promised land, our Canaan, and if it is true that that will not be without conflict and warfare, spiritually speaking— then it is also true we must not ever go into the battle without having prepared our food, without having prepared something to nourish up our souls with the good words of the Lord. I can prepare it when I come to the pulpit on Sunday, but that is not sufficient. There needs to be a daily preparation of the food by each and every one of us so that we will have the strength to be sustained in the warfare. If we don't do that, We will suffer from malnutrition and we will soon be victims instead of victors. So Joshua prepared the people through his leadership, first of all, physically. And then there was a spiritual preparation. Notice he said, In three days you shall pass over this Jordan. Now I know it's hard for us to get a picture of what that meant to these people. Wandering around the wilderness for all these years. God tells them they're going over into the land of Canaan. But the river Jordan, which was not a small problem, stood between where they were and where they were going. And Joshua now passes the word out, we're going to get over there in three days. Now, you might have thought he would have gone to them and said, start gathering up the wood. We've got to build us a bridge. (laughs) Or get all the carpenters together. We've got to make some pontoon boats. But there is not one word from Joshua as to the method of getting over there. There is only the promise that they will get over there. It will take three days and they'll be on the other side. And I'm sure the Israelites looked and they said, wait a minute, how's this going to happen? We have no means of getting across the river. But Joshua's word was in the form of a promise to encourage them spiritually and mentally that not only would they get across the river, he would do it in three days and the promise of God would be realized in their hearts. So these were words of substance to encourage their spiritual lives. Now I want us to notice not only the substance of their orders, but notice the secret of their orders. What was behind all of this? Here is the core of the book of Joshua wrapped up in a concept, and it goes like this. As believers, we have to possess our possessions. Here's the picture. God had promised to Moses, God had promised to Joshua, that the land of Canaan belonged to them. In fact, if you go back to the sixth verse of the first chapter, You'll notice that at the very end of the verse, it says, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. God had already promised the land of Canaan to Israel. God had already given it to them. It was theirs. And yet he's telling them to go in and possess it. I mean, how can you possess what you already possess? Maybe I can illustrate it best by telling you a story that I heard about a man who owned a number of pieces of real estate and decided for one reason or another that he wanted to sell one of those pieces of real estate. So he went to a broker and he asked him to write it up and get it circulated so that he could put it on the market. Well, the broker was very good at his trade and he wrote up this estate and described it in graphic details. and sent out copies to the other real estate firms and to some prospective buyers that he knew and happened to send a copy to the owner and the owner got it in the mail and he began to read about this estate that had luxurious shaded areas and a beautiful pool and had recently been renovated and painted and redecorated and it had all of the amenities that you would want to have in a wonderful estate and as he got to read the thing he realized that that was a better place than where he was living so he moved in and sold his old place. Now, he possessed it, then he went and possessed it. It's one thing to own something, it's another thing to live in it. It's one thing to have title deed to it, it's another thing to possess it by your presence in the midst of it. Now the people of Israel possessed the land of Canaan, God had given it to them. But now he's telling Joshua, you have to go in and take possession of your possessions. Men and women, that is one of the most interesting spiritual truths that we could apply to our own lives. As Christian people, we have been given so much by God. We have so many blessings from Him. And sometimes I think we misunderstand that those blessings are our title deed. But God wants us to move into those blessings and start to possess them by virtue of living within them. I remember when I was preaching through a series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. I was overwhelmed that the Bible taught that when we are Spirit-filled Christians, those things are all ours. When Christ by the Spirit indwells and controls us, we have love, joy, peace. But you know what? Fifty-five times in the New Testament, the believer is commanded to love. Now you say, wait a minute. If I already have love by virtue of the Holy Spirit, why am I commanded to love? Because it's important to possess your possessions. It's important to live in the truth of that which God has given to you. And if we don't do that, we are simply landholders without having any joy that goes along with what God has given us. I dare say... That there would not have been one moment of joy or excitement in Canaan had the people of Israel not been obedient to go into the land and walk up and down the land and defeat the enemies and possess what God had given them. There's an illustration of that principle right here in the text. And it is one of those areas of Bible reading where you read along and all of a sudden you come on something and you say, what in the world is that? You're reading down through the 10th verse and the 11th verse, and you're okay. Then you come to verse 12, and all of a sudden, there's the introduction of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You say, who is that? Well, that's inserted here to remind us of the principle that I just told you about. And I want to tell you the story. Hold your place in Joshua 1 and turn back to Numbers chapter 32. Now, remember the names Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And let me tell you this little story. When Moses was still leading the people of Israel, and they were moving toward the promised land. They were almost there. They were in the area near the Jordan, getting ready to just poise to go into the land. One day, Reuben and Gad and Manasseh came to see Moses, and they were all shepherds. They had cattle and flocks. And they said, you know, Moses, we've been kind of looking around. And uh, you know this place where we are now is pretty nice. It's fertile. There's a lot of grazing land for our cattle. And we've kind of made a decision as we've talked among ourselves that we don't want to go over the Jordan River to the land of Canaan. We kind of like to stay where we are. We'd like to settle down on this side of the Jordan. Because we don't think there's going to be anything over there any better than what we've got. So we might as well just take what we can see and go with it and the Bible says that when they approached Moses with that suggestion that he didn't like it that it didn't make his day (laughs) he was angry and then he said something to them he said if you're gonna do this if you decide you want to stay here and settle down in this land there's some conditions I'm gonna place on you and here they are you have got to send your fighting men with the rest of the people of Israel when they go over the Jordan and they have to lead the troops and when all of the enemies on the other side of the Jordan are defeated and all that land is settled then they can come back over here on this side of the Jordan and if this is where you want to settle you can settle but you're gonna have to pay the price along with everybody else so if you have your Bibles open to Numbers 32 notice verse 20 and Moses said unto them if you will do this thing if you will go armed before the Lord to war And will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him. And the land be subdued before the Lord. Then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. They wanted the product without the process. They wanted to enjoy their inheritance without fighting the battle. And what God said to them was, you can't do that. In fact, if you want your inheritance first before anybody else gets theirs, here's what you have to do. Your fighting men have to march first in the parade. they got to be out in front of all the rest of them. Turn over to uh, Joshua 4.12 and notice that that's exactly what happened. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, And the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. They had their inheritance, but they had to pay the price. You know, there's an awful lot among Christians today that makes you believe that a lot of Christian people want all the blessings without any of the effort that goes into finding what God has for your life. We've heard so much of this instant Christianity in our day and age that we just got the idea that one of these days we're going to be walking down the road and something's going to go zap inside of us and we're going to have instant spirituality. But it doesn't work that way. We possess our possessions the same way the people of Israel do. We have spiritual battles to fight. You don't have any battles to fight, then you're not in the process of taking over the land. If you're not possessing your possessions and finding difficulty in the way, then you're living a Christian life that's different than the one I read about in the Word of God. My Bible tells me that it is a time of warfare here on this earth, and there are enemies to fight, and there are challenges to meet. But it is through that process that we come to maturity, and the product that God wants for us is that we might possess our possessions, but we don't do it sitting in an easy chair waiting for it to happen to us. And so Reuben and Gad and Manasseh teach us that the way to victory and the way to joy and the way to possession is to pay the price, to do what God commands you to do. What is the test of a leader? You have to find out if anybody's following, right? You might think you're a leader, but if you look around and nobody's behind you, you're fooling yourself. Leadership is always validated by fellowship. Notice what it says. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against the commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death, only be strong and of a good courage." Now, let me just say two things. Somebody's going to say, isn't verse 18 a bit harsh that if you didn't do exactly what Joshua said, you'd be put to death? Well, maybe in normal terms that might be true, but we're talking here about military warfare. We're talking about military life. There's no room for deserters. There's no room for dissenters, and nobody can go AWOL. In essence, Joshua was saying, we are now under the military regime. Nobody is allowed to fall out of step. We march forward together. The other thing I want to just make a comment about is the statement here that I think was a mixed bag to Joshua. When the people said, we're going to hearken unto you just like we hearken unto Moses, I think Joshua might have had some minor depression. Moses was an embattled leader. The people gave him fits. They murmured against him every time something went wrong, they were on his case. They didn't listen to Moses half the time. That's why they were in so much trouble. When you come down to the end of all of this and you draw a line at the end of chapter one, I think there are four major truths that stick out. Number one, I think that we need to remember that promises are often tied to performance. When I was growing up in Sunday school, we used to sing a little chorus that goes like this. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Now that made for good singing, but it was terrible theology. First of all, not every promise in the book is mine. Some of the promises in the book belong exclusively to Israel. In the Old Testament, I can't claim their promises at all. They don't have anything to do with me. Secondly, not every promise is unconditional. Many promises in the word of God are conditional. They can only be mine if I fulfill the conditions. I've heard people stand in testimony meetings and with great ardor say, My life's verse is, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Wonderful promise. But if you look at that verse, it's couched in the context of people who are faithful in their stewardship. And what God is saying is, if you do right in your stewardship, I'll take care of you. But you have no right to claim that promise if you're not doing right with your stewardship. That isn't yours if you're not fulfilling the performance part of the clause. When you take one of God's promises, you better read the fine print. The people of Israel had a promise from God that this was their land, but the fine print was you better be obedient and go in and possess it. The second thing I've written down by way of application is our possessions need to be possessed. And thirdly, I've written these words down. God's priorities require patience. You know, I don't have a picture of what it might have been like for Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had they waited to see what was on the other side of the Jordan. But you know what I do know? What was on the other side of the Jordan was far better than what they saw. They settled for what they could get their hands around because they were unwilling to trust and believe that what God had for them on the other side was even better are we like that sometimes we wanna hurry up God's plan we want to get a hold of what we can see right now instead of waiting for God's best I've counseled with dozens of young people in my life as a pastor A lot of times they have come to talk to me about their plans for marriage and I've talked with many of them who have said things like this well you know I'm not sure this is the ultimate pastor but you know God has kinda let us come together and We're feeling pretty good about each other. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Maybe this is what I should do. I want to tell you something. Marriage is tough enough if you go into it with an absolute commitment at the front door that this is the will of God and there is no second best. This is it. But when you go into a marriage relationship because this seems like the best thing you can have now as opposed to what might be out there later you are running the risk of disaster in your life. And let me tell you something. There's an old adage that says, God saves his best for those who are willing to wait. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that as much as Reuben and Gad and Manasseh may have found acceptance on the other side of the Jordan because they took what they could see and they took it right now, They missed out on what could have been theirs if they'd have been willing to trust the Lord and with patience wait for his priority. And then last, I put down something that takes us all the way back to where we started with the geese. And it goes like this. Progress is easier if we follow the plan. Progress is easier if we stay in formation. You know, there are a lot of geese out there that want to go on their own. And they don't understand the drag and resistance and the trouble No one's honking behind to keep them going, and there's no airlift in front to encourage them along the way. That's the reason God has given us the church, so we can come together, stay in formation, and go forward into that which God has given us by way of our promised land as well.
1: And here we are today, as was Joshua in his day, gathering the people together, uh, as we do every day on the radio, and especially on the Lord's Day in our churches. And we're saying, okay, here's the strategy. Here's where we go. Here's how we live this life. Here's how we honor God with who we are. Here's how we live every day uh, to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. And um, during this month, as you know, we're making available a little strategy book from Rob Morgan called uh, The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward, it's very, very similar to what we're saying, but in a more different and practical and determined way to take these principles to your heart so you'll follow them and you will find joy and encouragement and uh, motivation in this little book. We want you to have it, it's yours for asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the last few days of February. Getting down to the end, as you know, just two or three days left. So if you've been thinking about sending a gift and asking for your copy of this book, this would be a good time to do it. And uh, I promise you the Jordan River Rules will add value to your life as a Christian. You will want to read this book, and, and just as soon as you get it, it's, it's that practical and that inviting. As you know, Rob Morgan's a great storyteller, so there's some of those in there, too. Thank you so much uh, for listening today. Tomorrow, uh, we'll actually do part one of Crossing the Jordan, the description of what happened when the crossing took place. We'll see you then.
0: The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How are you being blessed by Turning Point? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098 Delta, B.C., V4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our series A Nation in Crisis on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
2: If you're ready to move towards the promises God has given you this year, then you'll love The Jordan River Rules, written by Robert Morgan. You'll learn 10 God-given strategies for moving forward, including how to encircle obstacles with biblical faith. This encouraging hardcover is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point this month. And when you give $70 or more, you'll also receive The Courage to Conquer Set, featuring Dr. Jeremiah's teaching series, companion study guide,
1: and bookmark. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca. A man went to his doctor for an annual physical exam and received this report. Let me put it this way, the doctor said, the softness of your muscles is exceeded only by the hardness of your arteries. The doctor tried, but there's actually no way to state a negative report in a positive way. Part of a Christian's stewardship responsibility is to live a healthy life. I mean, after all, the Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There are many reasons to be healthy, but the very best reason is to glorify God as a good steward of our health. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to be healthy on Route 66.
2: Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.